You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. With Bongani Bingwa. Email him on bongani at 702.co.za. Well, early last month, it emerged that the president was about to announce a plan to give free higher education because it was being reported at the time his future son-in-law, in inverted commas, uh, Morris Masuta, had come with an alternative to what uh, the likes of the here commission had found. It was suggested that Masuta uh, had apparently acted on uh, acted rather as Zuma's point man on fees issues uh, and made representations to ANC officials and that interministerial committee on this plan that he had devised, which we were told essentially revises National Treasury's entire budget. At the time, he was not immediately available for comment, and the department itself was mum on the issue. I, of course, was suitably incensed and spoke about it on the show, you may remember. It then later emerged through sources that, in fact, Masuta was not romantically linked to any of the president's children. I made comment, I, I made contact with him, and he promised to give us an interview. Well, he is here in the studio, finally, to give us his perspective. And uh, thank you very much for agreeing to come to talk to us. Thanks, Wangani. It's great to be here. So, firstly, what was your response to the reports that emerged last month, and why did you not speak at the time? Great. Well... Uh, the best way to respond is that uh, somebody told me that the best way to beat the best chess player in the world is to play him in every other sport but chess. Largely, an entire article that broke on Sunday Times was actually fake news. Why was it fake news? I'm not using the word fake news Trump style. It was fake news because of everything it says, which we will impact here. But the most important answer is how did I get involved? How do I find myself participating in a technical team that is processing government's interpretation of the hair report? Well, first and foremost, 28, if not 26 November 2016, Myself and a team from Tusarani Foundation and the Center for Imaging Researchers went to the Hair Commission and made representation on what we thought was wrong with the sector of higher education and what we thought could be some of the recommendations that would help uh, the, the system. And that's, that was the first point of, of entrance to the, to the discussion. After that re- representation, uh, in fact, during that representation, the judge says, you know what? Uh, suppose it was my call. I would very well recommend everything that you guys are saying, but it's up to the politicians to take a final decision of whether they take education serious to an extent which they can make higher education free for the poor and the working class or not. Not my call. I can only recommend. A week or two after that, we were invited, like many other researchers, to the interministerial task team, which was uh, waiting for this commission, but also processing multiple other recommendations on what could be the solution. It was after we presented to that interministerial committee that, uh, in fact, this is what we said specifically. If you phase in free higher education, starting with poor and working class students who are in their first years, free higher education will cost you between 6.5 and 7.5 billion rand by next year. There was a lot of dispute of, on the authenticity of that figure. And then we were tasked to sit with a technical team made up of Treasury, DPME, higher education and presidency to corroborate the authenticity of those figures. That team, Bongani, arrived at 7.4 billion rand. That's how we found ourselves participating in that technical team. And it is in the process of arguing uh, what we thought was a, a 
an appropriate alternative to the current commodification of higher education that uh, our views gain momentum. And I'm sure we can then discuss uh, uh, how that pans out. I want to just get into some of the background in terms of uh, how your name was revealed. And I particularly want to do this because, of course, as I said in my introduction now, I spoke quite forcefully at the time about it. So I just want to make sure we put those issues to rest as well. The way the story was framed was that you had gained access in this way because you'd been linked romantically to one of the president's children. Uh, there was a suggestion, because I think she is involved in the Tusanani Trust, am I, am I correct? Foundation. Uh, the, the foundation. The mm-hmm. Tus- so at least you'd worked together. And so there was the suggestion that whether now or in the past, mm-hmm. your association with her is what mm-hmm. had given you access. And there was sure. also mention of that T-shirt at one of your graduation yeah. ceremonies. You'd worn, uh, at least you'd displayed a T-shirt with the president's face. And they yeah. were saying, aha, that's the evidence uh, that this <laughs> person is part of uh, you know the zuma extended yes. family setup what's your response to that it's, it's called scraping at the bottom of the barrel okay first you need to a, a, a real researcher would have said who the hell is this guy they would then realize oh no this is just some 28 year old from venda who arrived at vets did a ba law uh, and then after that he became president of the university and then his honors was on investing structural deficiencies of NSFAS while he was president of the of the SRC. His research actually informed his research actually informed some of the manner in which Vet University began to respond to food insecurity on campus. After that, he went to UJ and he did his um, a master's in economic uh, uh, geography and local economic development, during which he was recruited to work for the Division of Economic Intelligence in the city of Tswane, after which he went to study a PhD in higher education management, during which he has been protesting at VETS for the past 11 years. Interestingly, the very male and guardian that thought this guy is, 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 a, is fly by night named him the top top 200 young people to watch in the field of higher education just two years ago. So, in a sense, not only was it fake news, when we proceed with this interview, you'll understand whose nerve we touched and why. And that nerve has a figure to it. It's called 150 billion rand that the banks stood to benefit from the income contingency loan which was recommended to loot both the state and tie young people to debt for life. It is, that, it is at that point when the interest that be realized they were losing billions of rands should hire should the government not go with these loans that they fought and they used newspapers as a platform to try and individualize this matter when in fact this was a government process not my process this, right. I, I don't when but, but, free higher education was put on the freedom charter my mother was not even born sure, it can't but, be my idea so let me so let me come to this many of the complaints that were reported on at the time suggested mm. that officials uh, experienced officials in the department even maybe in treasury were being forced mm. to take your lead on this. It was even suggested that you'd presented this plan uh, to the entire cabinet with mm. directors general. So you can mm. understand if, it's a myth. If, 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 if somebody who, with the greatest of respect, yes. is unknown, yes. is then framed uh, to be given this kind of authority. In fact, mm. uh, there was even a suggestion that Michael Sachs, the former sure. deputy head of budget at the Treasury, sure. uh, might have resigned because of this plan mm. that you were presenting because people were thinking, as exactly as you asked, mm. who is this guy? Sure. Uh, it's fake news. First and foremost, free higher education 
is the biggest salary increment 90% of South African families have ever received since 1994. It is going to wipe out all the much of the student loan market. You can imagine there's a number of interests that are offended by free higher education. Now, let's let's correct what I term fake news, not to just throw it in the air as fake news. The technical team of the interministerial committee that processed the hair report and informed government's response to it is made up of director generals and DDGs of Department of Monitoring and Evaluation, President, National Treasury, Department of Higher Education, and a whole lot of other researchers and technical people. I was but a fly in that particular, and I told you exactly how I become a fly in that particular task team. Many people don't want to say, uh, you see, uh, blacks tend to have this self-hate, you see, because... Do you know that the HEHA report recommendation that model they adopted, borrowed from England, was actually recommended by one professor who was not even part of the commissioners there. That professor is called Fiaramonte from the University of Pretoria. So Fiaramonte comes and says, tie everybody to income contingency loans via the bank and indebt the state and the students to these loans. We say, no, free higher education is the policy of the ANC from Mangaung, Polukwane and Nazrek and therefore must be implemented if we are to arrest the widening trust deficit between the ANC and its electorate, but also if this government names higher education an apex priority, it means that even when you are the most brokest state, education is one thing you can't compromise. So that's another fake news. And you will remember they said it was 40 billion rand. At the time when they were leaking information saying it's 40 billion rand, it was 14, one four. All right, we'll continue having a conversation with uh, Morris Masuta. He is the director of the Tusanani Foundation and, of course, he works with the Centre for Emerging Researchers. Uh, He is said to be the man behind the announced plan by the President for free higher education next year, or at least from next year. We'll get into the details of what's exactly on offer and, importantly, how it might be paid for. It's the summer holiday season with 702, your number one news and talk station. All right, we're continuing our conversation uh, with Morris Masuta, the director of the Tusanani Foundation, uh, and also, of course, uh, working for the Center for Emerging Researchers. He's the man who's been fingered uh, in a number of media reports as being behind the plan that the president announced for free higher education. Uh, let's just go back to some of the details uh, that uh, we were discussing a little earlier on in terms of how the story came out into the public eye. Uh, the link between you and the president's family, Mm. where does that matter rest? Well, it doesn't actually, uh, because how I find myself participating in higher education policymaking space has nothing to do with my family or any other family that I may be linked to. In fact, I've got a very well-documented participation in higher education policymaking cycles with a number of academic publications, but also I'm actually one of the few students who are spearheading two multi, a, a, a higher education research project between the University of Bath and sure. Center for Higher Education Management as well as the University of Pretoria. Sure. So I'm not a stranger to the, to the sector. I understand that, but yeah. what I'm trying to get to, are you linked to the president's family, no. particularly via a romantic no. relationship Abs- with one of his children? A- absolutely not. I would spend a lot more time on the substance of what was announced and my what I think about it and its actual impact. The rest, they are really misleading. Whoever uh, leaked those fake news was really trying to derail and make defocus everybody from what really matters. So, so I just wanted to make sure that that's out there yeah. for, for the record. I'm not engaged. Yeah. So if there's any lady out there who thinks uh, I'm engaged, please, I'm not engaged uh, and my inbox is not private. So what about 
because part of the reaction to the announcement on yeah. Saturday yeah. was, I mean, the Treasury, for example, issued a very terse statement saying they noted the announcement, mm. uh, that announcements or at least reviews of it would be, uh, you know, details were given in due course. Mm. And of course, everyone is looking towards, uh, you know, the budget speech in February in terms of the details. Um, there was the sense that maybe even Treasury were not aware of what had uh, what was going to be announced. Uh, a number of academics said the universities themselves hadn't been consulted. We heard, of mm-hmm. course, last week mm-hmm. uh, they were saying to have an 8% increase because they couldn't wait on the interministerial committee mm-hmm. uh, to come up with a finalized plan. So it seemed mm-hmm. uh, from the responses from Saturday that everyone had been taken by surprise. Uh, not, not at all. It's not possible for Treasury to be taken by surprise because Treasury is part of the interministerial committee that processed the report, but also so Treasury bureaucrats are part of the task team of the interministerial committee that recommended what was subsequently announced. I can tell you that because I was part of the, that technical committee myself. In fact, uh, two days before the announcement, this technical team sent by the interministerial committee went and made these presentations to the presidency and said you may go ahead and announce this product because we have refined it in fact to be more precise to fund every student in the system in high in universities right now is 52 billion rand to fund the poor and the working class that is students between 0 and 350000 rand annual household income they constitute 45% of the system at the moment that's 27 billion rand to phase them in starting with first years is 7 0.4 billion rand. The bill as announced by the DDG of higher education even recently and reaffirmed by the Minister of Higher Education of this whole announcement is 12, 12.5 billion rand including TVET and including subsidy to universities which will halt an increment. Now you're speaking about the 8%. I think it's important to clarify that. If you read the statement that is issued by government, it says government will absorb proposed fee increments on for young people coming from households earning between zero and six hundred thousand rand yeah yeah now the 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 question one should ask is who are those families they are more than 96 percent of the south african population however because 55 percent of the student population is children of the top 10 percent families it means that what government has effectively done is to absorb the increment on behalf of the poor the working class and those who were dubbed as missing middle and then it is only children of the top seven eight percent households amongst whom 95 percent of the wealth of the countryside who will have to pay so let me ask you this, because there's been a lot of questions around A, where the money is going to come from, sure. B, what it will actually cost, and yeah. the figures of around 40-odd million rand yeah. come uh, from the reports, for Correct. example, that were head, headed by people like Sizu and Nasana, and of mm. course the Hera Commission itself. Mm. What does this plan, what will it cost, mm. and where will the money come from? And when you talk about vested interests yes. who stand to lose because of it, what do you mean? Yeah, let's start there and then go backwards. There are three uh, uh, articulated proposals. Yeah, the first one is the Hair Report. The Hair Report says government cannot afford the poor and the working class uh, free higher education. However, government, please go via the banks and borrow money on behalf of every student, postgraduate, undergraduate, regardless of their family background, in both public and private universities and colleges. That means government's support will go from 405,000 students right now to 2 million students. That is inherently contradictory. The question is how much is funding underwriting loans on behalf of students? 
Well, it's 2 million times 75,000 per head. That's 150 billion. So how can it be easier and cheaper to underwrite 150 billion rent through the banks, but it's not cheaper to sponsor the poor and the working class and face them in with, with first years to the tune of 12.5 billion rand. And most importantly, the hair report contradicts itself. It says the income contingency loan model, which has failed dismally in the UK, is the most feasible model. But hidden at the back of that report is the question, so what is the financial obligation of the state to the banks should students begin to default? And the hair report says, sorry, this is imponderable. I'm sorry. That's like saying, oh, that car is so affordable, I just don't know its price. It's inherently contradictory and it is for that reason why government could not even implement the hair report because it doesn't recommend a model. It recommends a process and engagement and negotiation with the banks. Put that aside. Nasana. Nasana is slightly different from hair. However, it is still an income contingency loan model proposed. However, it says in the first first and second years of the academic life of the student, it must be government grants. NSFAS must be privatized via the banks as well. And it is only in the third and fourth years that bank loans would kick in. In other words, the Nasana report says, sorry, government, you take all the risk during the first and second years where we know the bulk of the student dropout. And when we are certain that these students are going to graduate, then our loans will kick in. Again, that is, re- that is spitting on the students who said NSFAS loans are already tying us down. What government has done is to take 70% of the hair recommendations and say however for the poor and the working class will phase in free higher education within our fiscal means so, that is what has happened so what does your plan propose how much is going to how much will it cost and how will it be paid for not my plan well. <laughs> we have corrected that part but anyway let's say what government has subsequently implemented which is a synthesis of all five investigative reports implemented uh, 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 conducted by higher education since 2009 as well as the memorandum of the Give me the figure. 12.4 billion rand as announced by the higher education department. For whom? For whom? 12.5 billion because it's also about knowing which students are going to be covered. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 12.5 billion for whom? Okay. Students who are in metric right now and are coming in next year and have applied for NSFAS, they are no longer going to be assessed with a household income of 120,000 rand. It's going to be 350,000 rand, which means any student who makes it into the university having applied for NSFAS and their parents combined and below 350,000 rand, that's 90% of South African families, you are going in for free. Students who are in the second, third, fourth, or fifth year if you are doing medicine and you were on NSFAS in the previous years and you are continuing student, your loans are effectively converted into a grant who, earn, who come from families earning between zero and six hundred thousand rand no fee increment for you now what does this do it means at the university of venda 85 percent of them are effectively experiencing free education right now at stalinbosch because the poor are a minute group representing eight percent of the student population only eight percent will receive that free education. So it means university fee, I mean, government expenditure in higher education will only go up as and when the number of the poor and the working class increase in the student population. Which means if Salembosch want government money, they must take in more of the poor insofar as this is concerned. It's a logical thing. Uh, uh, people were simply trying to cloud this revolutionary act which extends free higher education to 90% of our country by so doing, giving workers uh, l- l- let's just say if there's a parent who is, who is listening now who wants to think, uh, uh, am I part of those who will benefit? 
children of all the unemployed, children of social grant recipients, farm workers, mine workers, teachers, nurses, all the entry-level civil servants. Your children, provided you are eligible and earn below 350,000 rand a year, your children go in for, uh, uh, for free. You have implemented the first practical sense of RET without without actually uh, putting more money in people's pockets, but making their expenses obsolete. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll continue the conversation. Uh, We'll keep you. Uh, We'll also be speaking to uh, Professor Ahmed Bauer of Universities South Africa and getting his perspective even as uh, we continue our conversation. No problem. Bongani Bingwa. Taking your calls. On 011-883-0702. But we are trying to dissect the president's plan for free education as he announced it on Saturday. Joining us now on the line from Craddock, I believe, is uh, the CEO of Universities South Africa, Professor Ahmed Bauer. Uh, Professor Bauer, good afternoon to you and thank you for your time. Uh, good afternoon, Bongani. Thank you so much for having me on your program again. So what was University of South Africa's initial reactions to the president's announcement on Saturday? Utter shock. <laughs> Absolute shock. I mean, we were just uh, stunned because there had been no discussion, no, no uh, consultation. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, we were deeply concerned about whether such a model was sustainable or not uh, in the long term. You know, the, the worst thing for the university system would have been if, uh, would be if the system is... Uh, rolled out for two years, say, and then the government says, sorry, you know, we have to go back to the old system. Uh, that would have been, that would be utterly devastating to the system. Um, uh, on reflection, of course, uh, Bogani, uh, you know, it's, and having had some sort of uh, feedback from the department uh, about sustainability and so on, um, you know, we also think that now, we also think that uh, if we can get this to work, uh, it will have a a huge impact on not just on higher education but on our society. Do you think it can? Do you think it will work? Well, I think we're going to have tremendous teething problems uh, next year. I mean, the, the announcement of the uh, of the plan, you know, at on the 16th of December is diabolical. I mean, I, what what else can one say? Uh, you know, just you know, we were hoping that if something like this was rolled out, that we'd have something like a year, you know, to kind of manage its rollout and so on. Uh, so, now so, instead, we've got two weeks here. So just give me a sense. I mean, were the universities consulted? Were you part of the process that led to this decision? And what are the plans for its implementation? I mean, come January or February next year? Yeah. There, there was no consultation. The, the, minister, the new minister made an announcement at some point at a vice, meeting with vice chancellors that they were considering a whole range of options. Uh, there was no discussion on it at all. And uh, there's been no consultation at all, zero consultation. Uh, the implications are enormous, you know. I mean, the, the first thing is that, uh, you know, NISFAS barely manages uh, with its current program, you know, how it's going to now supplement, uh, you know, the, the new amount of work that's uh, entailed in here into its work program for 2018 is a major, major issue. Uh, so that's the one thing. The second thing is that, you know, um, there will almost certainly be students who didn't apply to university or to, to this class because they thought that they were outside of the, uh, the 122,000 uh, rand capping, if you like, in family income, uh, who would now want uh, financial aid. And the big question is, you know, just how do we manage uh, uh, those young students? 
And of course, the fact that the program is being phased in uh, means, in fact, that there will be returning students, second year and third year students, who feel that they should be a part of the uh, a part of the dispensation. Yeah. So, I mean, are you concerned that there might be backlash in some way if this plan doesn't meet with the realities on the ground in terms of protests? Um, how are you mitigating against any potential backlash, particularly, of course, uh, as uh, you know, if if if, as you say, it doesn't work out? Yeah. So look, I'll tell you what we, you know, what we are doing and what we will do is work with NISFAS and the department uh, to try and ensure that uh, all the risks are as mitigated as possible. I mean, I, it's going to be impossible to mitigate all the risks uh, completely. So our, our big challenge really is to work with uh, NISFAS and DHET in the run-up to the 2018 academic year uh, and just to make sure that, uh, you know, that we put together a plan which involves this fuss and the universities and DHT, uh, which uh, will allow, uh, you know, allow the, the, the program at least a fair chance of success. All right. Uh, I, so I should just say that, you know, we have we've been told that it's the program is fait accompli. So any, you know, there's no possibility of rolling back, you know, what has happened, on the, what happened on the 16th of December. Okay, so essentially, Professor, you're going to just have to leave or to live with it. That's the CEO of University of South Africa, Professor Ahmed Bauer. Uh, now, you know, let's just continue and wrap up our conversation, Morris. Yeah. It's one thing for you to make allegations around fake news and yeah. journalists, for example, maybe not understanding or maybe being fed information by special interests, etc., as you have said. But here we have uh, University of South Africa saying they weren't consulted. They sure. say they weren't part of the process. Uh, in fact, Professor Bauer, they're saying, that the announcement was diabolical. Mm. Uh, he says that there are many students, I mean, you heard everything he said, there are many sure. students who didn't apply and who now may fit the category that's been announced but won't necessarily uh, be eligible because they hadn't applied. So it's a, kitchen, it's a chicken and egg situation. Mm. If this doesn't work, mm. for whatever reason, maybe, you know, problems in implementing it, the universities are going to be dealing with the fallout. Let's deal with the facts. Okay. A commission of inquiry is established. It requires all stakeholders in higher education to contribute into what will be the body of knowledge and evidence on what, on how higher education funding in South Africa can be reformed. Universities South Africa, Professor Bao, and all vice chancellors go to the commission and make their submissions. The commission synthesizes all recommendations and comes up with a recommended model. Okay, And then that report is delivered to the presidency, that commissioned the very report. Then the presidency uses internal state capacity, that is the Interministerial Committee on Higher Education, and its technical team made up of bureaucrats across the affected departments to process it within what government is capable of implementing. The commission was a consultative process. It can be that when government implements a policy, it has to go get the go-ahead from universities. Let's clarify one thing here. Universities accept students according to their admission requirements. They've got a set number of students that will go in, 203,000 to be more precise. NSFAS has just recently launched a student-centered model. All students who applied for NSFAS applied online to NSFAS, not to universities. It's not universities who process eligibility and who, are, who accesses or not. It is NSFAS. Sure, and and importantly, Wangani, the CEO of NSFAS, the new CEO of NSFAS, a month ago, went to parliament no. and said that... We 
we will have the capacity to Morris, process students. I have to come in. I have to come in. Sure. The, the argument Professor Bauer is making is that the threshold has been changed in terms yes. of what's being announced and yes. what people would have understood when they initially would have applied mm. for NEFSA's loans. So mm. what happens to those, for example, who are caught out? Yeah, you see, let's speak to facts here. Over 500,000 students have already applied for NSFAS. The university is only going to accept only 200,000 students, okay? Already in that 500,000, there are students who are outside of the bracket. Those are the students who always get rejected, and they would complain that, hey, you are cutting it too thin. It is those students who will now have an opportunity to be included into the new threshold. It's a very straightforward matter. NSFAS has already confirmed, the CEO of NSFAS, went and told Parliament last month that if the cap is increased to 350,000, we will manage it. So why would we co- contradict? And Professor Bauer has his own place, which is in admission requirements and accepting number of students that is set. And as far as and, uh, and government had to respond to students from the funding perspective, and they've done that. So right. he mustn't try and pour water into something that maybe he doesn't agree with. He's a body of opinion. He's not the authority on the matter. All right, Morris Masuta, I'm afraid that's where we're going to have to leave it. Sure. You say it will work only 12 billion. 12.4. And 12, 12.4 billion, and you're saying it's going to change not only uh, the face of higher learning in South Africa, but indeed uh, the country itself. Yep. We shall see how it all unfolds. Thank you for coming in. Uh, I do want your reactions uh, to this conversation, by the way. 011 883 702 uh, we'll pick it up after five